Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Uh, Today we begin our Advent series with Christmas being just five weeks away. I found myself asking this question over this last week, where has this year gone? It seems to have gone amazingly quickly. So for for four of the next five weeks, we're going to take the time to look at the Advent story, the Christmas message from a different perspective than perhaps our normal. One of the challenges of being a teacher or a pastor is to bring a fresh message to an old story. And probably Christmas is the biggest challenge of all. How many years have we been doing Christmas between us? And to, to come something fresh is quite challenging. So today, I am hoping to bring a fresh angle to a part of the Christmas story, and in particular to the early part of the story. I want to introduce us to the idea, the thought, or even the possibility that God is so gracious to us that he still answers the prayers that we have stopped praying. That God is so gracious that he still answers the prayers that we have stopped praying. Just because we stop praying for something, it doesn't mean that God stops answering. We may have given up praying some prayers weeks ago, months ago, years ago perhaps, and for some of us who are old enough, maybe decades ago, But he is so gracious and he is so faithful to us that although we have stopped, he continues to answer those prayers. And where does this come from? Great question. And it comes from the early part of the Christmas story and it's found in Luke 1 and the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. I want to read about 20 verses so the words will be on the screen but we need to read them all in order to get the context. So Luke chapter 1 verse 5 says, In the days of King Herod, of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once when He was serving as priest before God during the section's tour of duty. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to offer incense. Now at the time of incense offering, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side at the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I get, how can I know that this will happen? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. 
The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the days these things occur. Meanwhile, the people who were waiting for Zechariah and wondering at his delay in the sanctuary, when he did come out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he returned to his home. And those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me in this time. When he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Amen. Just some context here. This text introduces us to a situation that Zechariah Zachariah and Elizabeth have been probably dealing with for many years. They have been praying probably about this for many, many years. You may well be aware of the fact that many of the primary characters we find in the Bible also dealt with this situation. This is a couple who could not have children. In the world of the Old Testament and in the world of the New Testament, if a couple couldn't have children, then it brought shame, and specifically on the wife, specifically in this situation on Elizabeth. Thoughts of how old Elizabeth was when this has happened vary from mid-60s, and some even put her in her 80s. One commentator just tried to explain how horrendous this situation was. And whilst we all know that this was a stigma in in this time of the Old Testament and the New Testament, I sometimes think that we fail to grasp the severity of it. One commentator pointed out that in Bible times, the success of a woman was incumbent upon having a child. And just the usage of that word, success, would rile us and would would rack us up a little bit. Having no children was considered a reprehensible failure. Another writer went further when he said, if women in the ancient world were reduced, if women in the ancient world were reduced to vessels for childbearing, barren women were just fragile shells, empty of consequence. This is the stigma, this is the weight that they are carrying. So vital was the birth of a child, especially a son in a Hebraic worldview, that it became part of the Psalter, a sung psalm. Psalm 127 was sung in celebrating the birth of a son. It is totally probable, highly likely, that the childless women, Elizabeth included, had heard other mothers sing this psalm when they had had a baby boy. She would have heard other mothers singing, behold, children are a gift of the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. This was the weight of what she had been carrying over the years. However, added to the stigma for Elizabeth is another factor contemporary to this time, specific to this age. Such was the belief at this time in Jewish thinking, it really was the spirit of the age, that the Messiah, their savior was coming to rid them of the Roman tyranny, that it was about to happen, that it was the hope and dream, writers tell us, it was the aspirations and it was the wish and longing of every woman woman that lived in the span of about 20, 30 years, that they would be the mother of the Messiah. Such was their hope. However, for Elizabeth, 
For Elizabeth, this could not have been because, as Luke 1.7 tells us, she was barren and advanced in years. So as we can very easily tell from this text, Zechariah assumed that this situation for them as a couple would not change. They were way too old to have children, and their situation was just left with them. Interesting question to ask us all here today. What do we, what do you and I assume in our life will never change? Are there certain things in our life that we would love to change, but we think, or we know, we really do believe that they never, ever will? Like the job we have, like the unsaved family member, like a financial situation we're in, or a physical health condition we have to live with. Perhaps we have made the assumption that nothing ever is going to change. That marriage that once was exciting, challenging, vibrant, but now seems to be in a rut, having lost its way, and whilst not wanting to get out of it, man, this is my lot. Well, for this couple, they believed that the situation they found themselves in would never change. They believed that they would never have children nor descendants. They assumed life stuff their lot would stay the same. But of course, and this is the wonder of the story, God has different plans. God wants to step into their lives and he wants to change the assumption and their naturally drawn conclusions. And it is the words that the angels of the angel, I should say, speak, that I want us to turn our attention to specifically today. And he says to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered. Now, perhaps I shouldn't say this in church or I shouldn't say it at all. What a stupid question. What a stupid question. It's like, this guy is at least in his 70s and he's a priest. So his job is praying and he does all those things. And the angel says to him, your prayer has been answered. Which of the 10, 20,000 prayers that he prayed is the angel talking about? I'm sure that he recalls that when they were in their 20s and first married, he said, yeah, we were praying for children. And of course, when we didn't have children in our 20s, we prayed even harder and more vigorously in our 30s. But now that we are probably in our 70s, we haven't prayed that prayer for years and decades and decades. We just assumed that we were too old to start having a family. But the angel says, your prayer has been heard. Let's go back to where we started and ask the question, is it possible, therefore, that God will answer the prayers we have stopped praying for? Is it possible that we stop praying for something because we started to believe that it could never happen? But God has remembered those prayers, and even if we quit praying them, it does not mean that he is not going to quit, he is not going to answer them. Is it possible that he is so gracious to us that he will answer the prayers that we have forgotten about and pray no more? Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was the third president of the United States of America. His tenure was from the 4th of March, 1801 to the 4th of March, 1809. And he was a man who loved the ministry and teaching of Jesus found in the New Testament. He greatly appreciated Jesus' morals, his teaching, his ministry, and he loved Jesus for what he said. 
But Thomas Jefferson, although a president, was a man who had no way of understanding or comprehending any of the miracles that he would see and that he would read in the Bible, and in particular in the New Testament. In his logical mind, he had no way of grasping, he had no way of getting his head around the miraculous that he found in the New Testament. True story. So he took his Bible, took his King James and a razor blade, I don't know if he had scissors, but he took a razor blade at least. And over two or three consecutive evenings, he cut out all the miracles from the New Testament. He cut out the virgin birth. He cut out the resurrection. He cut out the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. He cut out the healing of blind Bartimaeus, the raising of Jairus' daughter, and the raising from the dead of Lazarus. He cut out the miracle of turning water into wine, the healing of the leper, and the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, and so on. He cut out everything that he could not understand or he could not explain. The book that was delivered as a result of this true story was called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. It became more commonly known, which probably most of us will have heard of, the Jefferson Bible. And this is what it looked like. A couple of pictures. He did. He just literally got a razor blade and cut out all the things that he could not understand. You see, Thomas Jefferson made the assumption, he assumed that if I can't understand it, then it cannot be done. That if I can't understand it, then it cannot be done. He assumed that if he couldn't get his mind around it in order to comprehend or believe something, he assumed that it was never going to take place. Probably, Most of us on hearing this story will be critical of Thomas Jefferson and say, well, I would would never do that. I could never take a, a scissors or a razor blade to the Bible and cut out things that I don't believe or understand well. But is it possible that some of us ignore passages of the Bible or ignore certain verses because we find them really difficult to believe and really difficult to believe for us in our situation. Some of us may have even stopped praying for some things because we think, because we have decided that they are highly unlikely or impossible to happen. And some of us have been trapped in our own logic. Some may limit their lives just to the things that they can understand and explain. So when we come across something that we don't believe will never happen or is unlikely to, we quit praying, assuming that it can't be done. So I wonder, again, if this couple, once they entered into their late 40s, their 50s and 60s, they stopped believing because logic tells them that 70-year-old ladies don't have babies. The story of Zechariah and Elizabeth in the New Testament reminds us of a story in the Old Testament, and it's a story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, just like our New Testament couple, are unable to have children. They are advanced in years, they are getting quite old, so they've stopped praying for children. Even though they had stopped praying for children, and of course, God didn't stop answering their prayers. In fact, he wanted to step into the life of another couple and actually change the assumptions that they were living by and their lives were being dictated through. He wanted to challenge their assumptions. 
Perhaps this Christmas, God desires to challenge some of our assumptions as to what we think God can do or God can't do. Challenge some of our assumptions as to what God will do or what God won't do. Just want to read just a few verses from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Verse 6 verses. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, who was to become Abraham, in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am a shield, your rewarder. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I am, for I continue childless. And the heir of my throne is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and count the stars. And he says, if you are able to count them, then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. So obviously Abraham is in his tent looking at the ceiling, in this case, the canvas ceiling of his home. And God comes to him and takes him outside and to have a look at the stars. And I, research says that probably when he stood outside the tent, there were about 8,000 stars <laughs> that were visible to him. That would have been there in the Middle East at that time. And God says to Abraham, okay, son, I would like you to look at the stars and I would like you to start counting them. So I imagine, this is what if it would have been me, I'd go one, two, three, four, five. My wife would say 10, so I'd have to start again. And I go one, two, three, four, five. And the, and the exercise becomes virtually impossible. God says, that's gonna be the size of your family. That's gonna be the size of your family. You're gonna have millions and millions of descendants and the stars will become the night, nightly reminder of my promise to you. God says to him, Abraham, you assume that everything will always be the same. Abraham, you stopped praying for children as you felt you were way too old, but you are going to be the father of a great, great nation. I don't know if any of us have had that kind of experience where we have stood at night and looked at the stars and we have just been so overcome by how big he is and how small we are. For the, virtually the first 20 years of our children's lives, we lived in a small village in the Welsh countryside that had very few streetlights. And literally, if you walked for just a few seconds, you were away from any lights, and you could just, it was you in the night sky. Something impossible to do in a town or in a city. But in this small rural setting of South Wales, away from all the other lights, when you look at the stars, you think you are seeing millions or at least hundreds of thousands because they are so bright. And then you begin to realize that it is our God who did this. It is our God who made it. You know, I mean, God had to take Abraham out to show him how big he really was. I believe that it is really important that as we head not only into the Christmas season, but into a new year, that we have an understanding, a fresh understanding of how big God is, how big our God truly, truly is. And sometimes we are guilty of reducing him to a smaller size than he really is. We perhaps reduce him to the size of our biggest 
problem. We reduce him to the size of our left brain logic. We reduce him to the size of our greatest fear, our greatest anxiety. We reduce him to the size of the most troubled family member or child, or even worse, to our worst sin. We end up with a God with a lowercase g. Someone wrote, and I can't find it who, who said it, someone said these words, our biggest problem is not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is when we believe that God is not bigger than our biggest problem. Say that again. Our biggest problem is not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is when we believe that God is not bigger than our biggest problem. God says to Abraham, just go outside your tent, look up at the sky and remember how incredibly big I am so that you can push back the things that you are assuming won't happen and believe something fresh about me. I want you to push back those assumptions, those decisions that you have based on your logic, on your experience, and I want to push them away and let myself, as it were, loose in your life. Let me give you another assumption. Again, we had this assumption earlier on, but the assumption is this, 90-year-old women do not have babies. And to be honest, this is a fair assumption to make. I really, really don't understand all this stuff, but biologically and anatomically, I don't think that it is possible for a woman of this age to have a child. Well, it wasn't in their days. I don't know what medical science will do in the next generation, but it was a pretty fair assumption to make in some ways. But you know, this is a very unique and different situation. Romans 4 verses 18 to tell, 18 to 21 says this about Abraham, hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations according to what was said, so shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about 100 years old, and the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Mark Patterson says, faith is not logical and it is not illogical, but faith is theological. Faith doesn't ignore reality. It simply adds God into the equation. It doesn't ignore, but it simply adds God. So Abram here in our reading, he didn't ignore the, the facts. He said, I saw that my body was as good as dead, and he looks at his wife and says, she's not much better than me. And, and this is how it reads in the, in the original text, and it's a harsh assessment of their bodies, and it's a harsh asset, assessment of their marriage. But he faced the facts. But he was also fully persuaded that God had the power to deliver on his promise. You see, even though Abraham could clearly see the impossibility of the situation, even though he assumed that his 90-year-old wife could never have a child, even though he had given up praying for that kind of stuff, he started to trust God more than he trusted his own assumptions. Could it be, could it be that some of us listening to this today have almost written ourselves off because we have assumed that we are too old for God to use us. Could it be that some of us believe that God only uses people that are under a certain age and wear skinny jeans and muscle t-shirts? Well, perhaps not here at Gateway. 
No disrespect to you and me, mate, but, but you, sometimes you watch stuff on TV and on YouTube and you just think, oh man, I've got to get a muscle shirt or a T-shirt. My daughter has a way of always putting her dad right in a lovely sense. She says, Dad, why don't people dress their age? Which I think is really, really good. But sometimes you see these things, people on TV and the, and the Christian things and think, wow, man, I could never live up to that, that image. You know, as we read scripture, we discover that God loves to use people of all ages. He also loves to use people that have been around a while. Moses didn't assume leadership until he was 80. Caleb at the age of 85. Noah was about 500, we believe, when he starts to build the ark. It is never too late for you to become the person God meant you to be. And if you are breathing here this morning, then God is still massively interested in the plans for your life. But the reverse can also be true because some are making the assumption that you are too young really for God to use you. You've made the assumption that you need more experience, you need more years under your belt. There are people here today who are making the assumption that you are too broken to be ever used by God. If you only knew what I was going through, if you only knew my history, where I had been, if you only knew how I struggled with my thought life, and we continue with that narrative as it goes on in our mind. We need to hear again and again that God loves to use people who don't think or feel that they are ready to be used by God yet. What usually happens, which is great, but is that when God uses people who don't feel ready yet, the glory doesn't go to them, it actually goes to God. And I think that's one of the reasons why he loves to do it. So God uses a young man to fight a giant. He uses a teenage girl to carry his only son. Jesus chooses a group of guys in their teens and 20s to be his disciples. Some of us, as we go into Christmas and into 23, need to be released from the assumption today that God will never use you because you're too old, too young, too broken, or whatever it is. One final assumption. If it doesn't happen instantly, it won't happen at all. If it doesn't happen instantly, it won't happen at all. See, Genesis 21 is 25 years later than Genesis 15. There's a 25-year gap between those six chapters. <laughs> In Genesis 15, God said to Abram that you're going to be the father of, a, of great nations and you're going to have a son. And 25 years later, God speaks in Genesis 21. 300 months, 1,300 weeks, 9,125 days later, and he speaks. And he says these words. The Lord <laughs> dealt with Sarah as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, whom Sarah bore him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And he said, who would ever have said to Abraham and Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him in an old age. A wonderful story of God's provision and his miracle working power. But we cannot gloss over the fact that they had to wait 25 years, 25 years of patient waiting. 
And during these 25 years, I'm sure that it was emotionally and spiritually confusing for this couple. I'm sure that they were emotionally drained every time they they were reminded of the promises of God. I'm sure that they went through times of real doubt, if not times of saying, did that really, really happen? Did I hear from God? I guess when there were still times when Abraham and Sarah were convinced that this wasn't going to happen. It must have been tempting to think that God had given up on his promise to them. You know, it may be we think it's possible that God has given up his promise on us. And maybe Abraham and Sarah had stopped praying altogether because, well, when is this gonna happen? Because it is easy to assume that if something doesn't happen instantly or fairly quickly, then it's not gonna happen at all. I wonder today if God has spoken to some of us, has challenged some of us, has made promises to some of us, and we are still waiting, and we are getting frustrated in the waiting, and we're beginning to assume that they're never gonna happen. And our assumption will be, if it doesn't happen by the end of this year or next year, it is never, ever (laughs) going to happen, and we continue on as if God never really spoke to us. You're waiting for something to happen, you're waiting for something to change, and in your waiting, you're attempted to assume because it hasn't happened, then it probably, probably won't. Maybe we are stopped, maybe we're tempted to stop praying altogether. Can I both encourage and challenge us here today to keep trusting that God is able? Can I encourage and challenge us today that even though his timing is not our timing, that his timing is always right, even when our logic and our brain and our left side of the brain tells us that it is otherwise. Maybe it is time for some, if not all of us, as we head into the new year, to actually believe new things about God. Actually, to take the opportunity that we have as we look at the majesty of of the Christmas story and the coming of Jesus Christ to earth, that we start to believe new and wonderful things about God that we allow our imagination to, to come alive, that we start dreaming again what God could do in our lives and through us and even for us, that perhaps in my own, my own life, perhaps I've just become too crusty. Maybe I've just become, you know, same old, same old. But I sometimes think God wants to break into the same old, same old and do something new and wonderful and life-giving and liberating and freeing. It's perhaps... You know, we can dream and imagine, and it means that we don't have all the answers. Well, that is wonderful. If we're gonna wait for all the answers before we stop dream, start dreaming, then we're never ever gonna have any real dreams. It's perhaps time that we made the assumption that God can't, can rather than he can't, that he will rather than he won't, that he is interested rather than he is disinterested. Maybe as we head into this new year, it's the time for some of us to get out and look at the sky and count the stars and see how big God really, really is and trust in his promises. Personally, as I've been preparing for this message, I have gone back (laughs) over my life and and especially looked at the the promises and the words that I have felt were from God and have not yet been fulfilled in my life and I've stopped praying them. And I have felt God challenge me in a very, very kind way to go back over them. And I have been gently and quietly asking him, 
Should I start praying into some of these again? Should I start praying into them? And I've just felt him say, trust me, son. Trust me, son. So there are, there are promises in my life that I have not prayed for, I don't know, maybe 20 years that I have gone back to and I'm reinvesting my time and saying, Lord, what about this one? What do you think about this one? And I've just felt something happen in my life. I don't know where it's going to go, but it's worth the dreaming again. I have a confession to make for you, to you. For some reason, I have stopped praying for my school friends to be saved. I used to pray for them regularly, but for the last 10 years, probably because we've been over here that I don't see them that often. I have two school friends, and we met when we were five in primary school. We started school together, and every time we go back to the UK, one of the highlights is seeing them, and we catch up Oh, after, you know, I mean, six, well, all of us are 60 because that's probably because we went to the same class together, isn't it, really? <laughs> but I have stopped praying for them. They need Jesus. They know what, where we stand. They know what we do. They know that we love him, but they don't know him. And I have made a commitment again because I have not assumed, but perhaps I've just haven't been as diligent as I should have. And I want to lose the assumption that God can't do anything in their life. And I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to keep praying for them. And if it takes me 20 more years to pray for them, I'm going to do it. And it's not something that's come out of guilt. It's something that's coming out of a reawakening that I have stopped looking at promises and prayers, but God still answers them. That God still moves in these situations. You know, Paul in Ephesians 3 prays a fantastic prayer over a young church that was there in Ephesus, and he prays that he wants them to stir up their imagination that God can do even more than they can believe or dream of. And he concludes the prayer with this statement, (coughs) Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As we close, may I encourage all of us to pray this kind of prayer as we come into Christmas and the new year as we do so as a faith community. To those who have quit praying, whose faith is wavering, who have given up believing, can I point you to the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth and the story of Abraham and Sarah? Because They remind us that God never gives up on his promises. He never forgets the things that we pray for. You know, in fact, God is so incredibly gracious that he will answer the prayers that we have stopped praying. Let us be reminded that just because we quit, he hasn't quit and he won't quit. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.